0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today we continue our series on Ruth, finding God in the disappointments and losses of life with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we focus on one of the major themes of the book, The Kinsman Redeemer. So let's open our Bibles to Ruth chapter two, verses 17 to 23 as we begin.
1: Part of the insurance policy for your car includes the fact that if your car is stolen or destroyed, The insurance company replaces your car if it's a new one, or assesses the cash value of your car and pays you a cash settlement, which allows you to buy another one of similar value. A complaint one sometimes hears from people in this situation is that their car was not properly assessed, and now they have money, but not enough to replace the stolen car. So that even while there has been a payout, the victim is now worse off than before. But that is not what is supposed to happen. When done properly, your insurance policy is meant to guarantee that if something bad happens to your car, matters will be put right, things will be restored, you'll be no worse off, and you might even be better off. In the end, there will be no outstanding issues. In a sense, that's what the Bible speaks about when it uses the word redemption. Damage has been done, but a redeemer is someone who makes matters right, who restores what has been lost, who puts things back in proper order. Today, as we continue our study of Ruth, we're going to return to this definition. And my prayer is that as you live in this sin-damaged and sometimes cruel world in which loss and grief and damage are a part of living in a sin-cursed creation and a part of living with the sins of others and our own sins— You'll come to see that you have a Redeemer. He will set matters right. I want to assure you, I want to give you hope, that no matter what you've lost, if you know Christ, matters will be made right. Take courage. Don't despair. The story of Ruth is about two women who have suffered damage or have suffered loss, Naomi and Ruth. Both women have lost their husbands. They have become widows. Naomi has lost her two sons, and she has lost her ancestral property. She's lost hope. She will one day be an exalted mother holding grandchildren on her lap. Ruth has lost her family ties and her culture. At the beginning of the story, both women are destitute with little means of support. It would seem as we read the story that it is possible that these women might yet find grace. But how can matters be made right? How can they be made whole again? That seems impossible. But Ruth has just received an unexpected act of kindness. She's gone out to glean whatever was left in the fields of Bethlehem at harvest time, which was her right to do as an impoverished widow. And she finds herself unexpectedly in the field of a wealthy, decorated war hero named Boaz. And he has given her unexpected kindness. He has not only given her the right to glean in his field, but also to eat at his table. And if that were not enough, he has commanded that sheaves of grain be left over for her. That's where we pick up today. Ruth chapter 2 verse 17 says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah of barley. The end of her first day of gleaning, Ruth went to the edge of the field, beat out the grain she had, and that day she would have taken home a sack of about 30 to 50 pounds of grain. Now, I'm not sure how she carried it home, but that much grain would have allowed her and Naomi to be able to eat for several weeks which, when you think of it, is probably more than you make in one day's work. This day had so far exceeded her wildest expectations that it must have seemed like a dream. I have wanted to paint a picture of a woman who left Moab with nothing, outside of her desire to support her mother-in-law and find the true God of Israel. She expected little and was finding herself overwhelmed by abundance." And in this I have wanted to paint a picture of a God whose grace is not a meager ration but a lavish feast of delight. And in this I've wanted to encourage you to be bold in faith, to risk everything on the promises of God. I believe we should not be afraid to take great risks in our commitment to follow Christ. We should not be afraid to give boldly, more than we had planned all for Christ. We should not be afraid to serve boldly in ways that require a cost, the cost of commitment. I believe we should look for ways to risk all for the gospel, because I think that grace is found by those who risk much for Christ. And In the end of the day, when grace has been more lavish, richer, more bountiful, surprisingly more than enough, all that is left is to worship. Just so that we understand verse 17, we must understand it more than just the size of the sack. Historians tell us that the average male worker working hard at harvest would be paid a wage of about two to five pounds of grain a day. So, in fact, what Ruth was paid on her first day on the job is approximately ten times the wage of a male worker. It's really quite incredible. And if you go beyond that to verse 23, which says that she continued on this track through the barley and the wheat harvest, we can see that she was going to be working at this wage for about seven weeks, which would mean that she would earn enough for them to eat for the year and leave something left over, which could be sold and provide some income on top of that. Grace was going to be added to her life in ways she had not imagined. And that's what I meant when I said God gives and gives and gives often more than enough. But there's more. Let's continue to read. Ruth chapter 2, 18 to 20 says, And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Let's see if we can replay that scene. When Ruth walked through the front door after her first day of gleaning, dragging a huge sack of grain and a fully prepared supper for Naomi, Naomi went crazy. She asks, where did you glean? And then, without waiting for the answer, she realizes this must sound like a stupid question. No one can glean that. Now, the real question is, where did you work? Because this must be a full-time job. And then she realizes this is a second stupid question. No one gets paid like this. Never mind a Moabite woman. And then she figures it out. Which man took notice of you? This has got to be some man wanting something. And Ruth takes her time in answering. She doesn't mention Boaz's name until the very end of the sentence, leaving it as an exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. Finally, she lets it out. His name is Boaz. Verse 20 reads, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. It needs to be mentioned that on one point, the grammar here is unclear. Does Naomi think that the kindness of Boaz has not forsaken the living or the dead, or does she think that the kindness of God has not forsaken the living or the dead? It is possible that the sentence is deliberately vague, or the answer is both. Yes, it is clear that Boaz, as a relative of Ruth's dead husband, has had mercy on her and shown respect for his dead relatives, but in fact— it is God working through Boaz. The mercy that Ruth and Naomi feel is not just the mercy of Boaz, it is the mercy of the God of Israel. And Naomi sees the matter for what it is. This is Ruth's encounter with the graciousness of the God of Israel. And that's what makes her statement amazing. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 20. Naomi said to the woman of Bethlehem, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Remember Naomi? She's the woman who wanted a name change. She wanted people to call her bitter. She was convinced that God's hand had gone out against her, punishing her for her sins, and hence God had reduced her to poverty. She believed that God was sovereign, that God controlled everything, but this thought, when compared to her losses, made her bitter. It's amazing what one sack of grain will do. In this one act of kindness, Boaz, although he probably didn't know it, showed Naomi what she, in her bitterness, couldn't see, the kindness of God. This was an act of God's gracious care. The Hebrew word for kindness here is the word chesed. Many Bible translators will translate this word as loving kindness. The word is actually a term which speaks of the love of God flowing from his covenant. God had entered into a binding agreement with Abraham, saying, I will bless you. I will be your God. I will increase your seed to be more than can be counted and numbered. I'll give you the land of Canaan. If you will, God writes his name on a contract, indicating his commitment never to renege or default on the promises he made with Abraham and his descendants. God binds himself to Abraham to keep his word. That's the idea of covenant. And as if awaking from her delusion, Naomi tells Ruth this sack of grain is an indication of the covenant love of God who will never forsake us. God never breaks his word. But she's not done. She then uses the word redemption. This man named Boaz, God's instrument for showing his covenant love, this is one of our redeemers or one of our kinsmen redeemers. He is potentially the one who can make us whole again. What we have lost can be regained in him. It's quite a statement. It's an unexpected turn of events. And when we come back, we will see how the theme of Ruth, God the Great Redeemer, gets played out in the beautiful fashion in the redemption provided through this man by the name of Boaz.
0: In this introduction, we see the beginning of this great theme of redemption already in the life of Ruth and also her mother-in-law who recognizes the hand of God in this situation. Amazing what a sack of grain comes to represent in this story. This lavish grace bestowed upon us by a God who gives again and again. After the break, we'll begin to uncover the role of Boaz and what this symbolizes in our own walk with God. Men, make a point of joining Dr. John Neufeld at a number of the upcoming Promise Keeper Canada conferences. On October 22nd, Dr. Newfeld will be speaking at the Promise Keeper's Legacy Conference in Abbotsford, British Columbia, and then in the months to come at the Promise Keeper Quest Conferences in Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg, and Edmonton. We encourage you to register and to join us for these enriching and challenging events. For more information, check out promisekeepers.ca or to find out more about the upcoming events of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld.
1: When we last left Ruth, we were left with a revelation. With that one sack of grain, Naomi saw that God had never withdrawn his love from her. Even in the death of the three men she loved, in which God was sovereign, She now states that God has never withdrawn his kindness. Perhaps she didn't know how, but one thing was clear. Ruth, whom she had previously discounted, remembered Naomi came back saying she was empty, empty. And Ruth is standing there with her, and God has brought her back to the promised land. I mean, how is she empty? But now this same Ruth is proving herself a better provider than the three of her men could have done combined. After all, they lost the family farm and ended up as poor refugees, and what does one say to such a turn of events? Many people who have suffered are afraid that matters will never be made right in their lives. They fear that some things are permanently lost. You know, Perhaps you're one of them. Perhaps a death has brought more loss and grief than you could ever have imagined, or some reversal in your health, or in some matter, has changed your dreams forever. But, and may I say this softly... Those thoughts you have, if you are a believer, must be rejected. Take a strong stand against despair and hopelessness. Refuse to believe that your losses cannot be redeemed. Just because you are a believer and just because you are an object of Christ's covenant love, know this, your best days are not behind you. They are ahead of you. Despair is the enemy of faith. Recognize that the past or the present cannot present you with unrecoverable loss. You are an object of chesed. Your life is not the story of loss, but of the grace of a redeemer. I know that some of us are keenly aware of our losses, and I, for one, do not wish to trivialize loss, or tragedy, or grief, and the profound sense that so many people have of being alone. These are often difficult experiences, and they can leave a person feeling forsaken by God. But please allow me, as one who has experienced his own losses, to speak most gently to you. There is not one thing that belongs to this earth that you will not lose. This includes, but is not limited to, people we love jobs we hold, houses and land we occupy, degrees we have obtained, insights we have gained, joys we have loved, dashing good looks that are ours for a moment, talents and gifts we exercise, on and on goes the list. Every marriage will be ended by death. At our own death, we will lose all we had on this earth. Friends will desert us and die. You will never hold on to one earthly thing. Do you remember what Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 7? But at whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, I know. He's speaking about his standing in Jewish society, which was lost at his conversion. And according to Paul, the things that once seemed so precious to him were now regarded as rubbish because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. But that can't refer to the death of people you love. We never view them as rubbish, and indeed, we do not. I don't want to make light of people like Ruth and Naomi who lost their husbands to death. Death is the great enemy of the human race. Furthermore, we were created for relationship, and love is an expression of the image of God. To lose those we love is indeed a profound loss. Furthermore, if the idea of redemption is putting everything right, well, how can you put right the things we lose that cannot be replaced? In the end of the book of Ruth, Naomi doesn't get Elimelech back, nor does Ruth get Mahlon back. The dead husbands remain dead. But what happens is remarkable. Were it not for the tragedy that befell this family, Ruth, for her part, would never have encountered the grace that she found in the God of Israel, nor her part in the story of redemption. And in that, there's something all of us should remember. God will only allow that into our lives, which will both serve our long-term good and also our long-term joy. A God who is both loving and sovereign, guards over all of our joys and all of our losses so that we might find him altogether satisfying. In the meantime, let's learn to confess the following first. Let's learn to confess, I have never been forsaken. Naomi came to see that in the midst of her sorrow and even in her bitterness. She had never been forsaken by God. And Christians today can say that with far more confidence than Naomi ever could. Christ was forsaken on the cross so that we might not be. The Apostle Paul would say, and I'm quoting from Second Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The same thing gets said in Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, I'm not saying that you might not feel forsaken, but feelings are so often misleading They do not reflect the truth. Know that in Christ, God has not left you. Say these words, I am not forsaken, not in the greatest hours of grief, not even in my most shameful sins. How often are believers sometimes misled to believe that because of our sins, we are forsaken. Listen, we must confess our sins and turn from them. But we can do that with confidence, knowing that It is not we who bear the punishment for our sins, but that Christ has borne them on our behalf. See, sometimes grief comes because of the fact that we live in a world of of brokenness. And in this world, none of us will escape grief. If it hasn't come to you yet, hear me, it will. If it has come to you, don't you think for a moment that you're alone, for everyone suffers. It's just a matter of time. And sometimes grief comes to us because of the evil of others. It's amazing what human beings will do to one another. And some of you listening to my voice might be filled with anger and bitterness that not only have callous people done you harm, but that God has allowed it. And sometimes grief comes because of our own brokenness. We sin and God has allowed us to feel the horrifying consequences of our own evil actions. And we think in those times, God has abandoned me. But is that what the cross teaches you? And sometimes it takes a sack of grain to realize that the altogether sovereign God who controls all things, who in his love has allowed even this grief to come to you, this sovereign God will not forsake his children. That sack of grain can come in the way of a kind word by a fellow believer, a meal delivered to your family when you're sick, an assurance by your Bible study group that they're going to stand with you. And it can come as you pray or worship or hear God's word preached, but I'm amazed how often God sends a sack of grain. We have not been forsaken. Of course, the book of Ruth is about so much more than that. The very heart of the book comes in 12 little words at the end of verse 20. In those words, Naomi says of Boaz, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And tomorrow I will deal with the idea of a kinsman redeemer closely, examining what that idea meant in the ancient world and how that ancient idea relates to the cross of Jesus. But the idea here is, this man will put right what has been lost. This man will restore our losses. You know, I said that in Christ, we know that we will never be forsaken. Now let me add another thing. In Christ, I will never be left with loss. Christ redeems and restores all that I have lost. No, I don't mean that you get everything back the way it was. I mean that what you gain is so much greater than what you have lost. The day will come when you will praise God not only in your losses, but for your losses. For you will see that his perfect plan has been enacted in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray specifically for those who are struggling with pain and grief in this day. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show them that you are kind and that you are our Redeemer. And that in the end of the day we will indeed say you have done all things well so open our eyes to see Lord Jesus amen
0: John that was a rich message and something that we can all consider and think about but as you were speaking I was wondering about those of us that carry our bitterness and uh, we have a hard time releasing it and where does it all come from how can we move forward with it It's so important to get rid of bitterness. Bitterness can destroy a life.
1: Uh, Bitterness can focus us away from Christ, and we stop being thankful. I mean, everything gets colored by bitterness. I'm going to try to say this gently, but I think bitterness and idolatry are connected. There are some things in our lives that we simply can't live without, and when they're taken away, for they will be— We are left with such a profound sense of loss, we can't go on. That makes a difference between sadness and bitterness. Sadness says, I'm sad. Bitterness says, I'm angry that I can't live without this anymore. But I think God in his graciousness is permitting us to experience life in which the only thing that matters is his presence. And in the end of the day, he's training us to find full joy in him. And I think once we come to realize that, we can put bitterness aside. I think we can say to the Lord, this hurts a lot, but I know that you're my all in all.
0: Thanks, John. And we look forward to tomorrow as you talk more about the kinsman redeemer in the ancient world. Join us again on Back to the Bible Canada. If we've been walking with Christ for a while, I wonder if sometimes we forget about the amazing reality of what we've been given by God. This covenant, has said, is something that we can never lose. Do we live in the light of the grace that he has shown to us so abundantly? I pray that you've been enriched by this message and come to see how even in the losses and sufferings you've gone through, God is there and he has a plan for your good. That's his eternal promise. I hope you can join us tomorrow as Dr. Newfelt helps us understand the significance and meaning of the Kinsman Redeemer in the ancient world. Were you able to tune into Dr. Neufeld's From Creation to Creation series? Well, we believe it's a series that breaks down many of the barriers of fear and hesitancy when considering studying the book of Revelation. It's critical to understand where we're headed and the complete trust we can place upon our God. We also admit it's a lot to take in, so we want to make sure our listeners have the opportunity to listen again or to pass the series on to a friend. So for the month of August, the series, From Creation to Creation, is being offered for free on CD, and all you need to do is ask. The series is also available online through podcast and our mobile app, so nobody needs to be without convenient access. So if you'd like a CD copy of the series based on the book of Revelation, call us today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425, or email your request to info at backtothebible.ca.